Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Mee, and joined this week by the one and only Mr. Adam Shear. How's it going, Adam? Doing great, Jerry. Um, I'm so excited for this episode. I've been thinking about it for weeks. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this episode. Also, it's uh, we picked the perfect day for it. Uh, happy Star Wars Day to you, Adam. Oh, may, may the fourth be with you, Jerry. Oh, yes. At the, the time of this recording, it is May 4th, and we chose a very, uh, you know, Star Wars appropriate topic for this week's episode. We're talking about artificial intelligence, AI, and the coming robot uprising. <laughs> oh, there's going to be some financial planning clones <laughs> that are just walking around talking about Roth contributions. It's pretty uh, pretty terrifying, but also exciting. And um, yeah, we... we we sent along the invite to uh, the notorious chat GPT, and we're going to do some live Q&A uh, with the robot as the panelist. So yes, it's going to be yes. a lot of fun. <laughs> going to get some unfiltered responses. Uh, you know, we're going to have CFPs react to chat GPT financial advice. <laughs> we're going to see, you know, is chat GPT all it's cracked up to be? What are, you know, hopefully we can find some limitations. Otherwise we're out of a job, Adam. <laughs> I know. I know. This is, this is both very interesting and, and a little frightening. We'll yeah, here. A little bit, a little bit, but I am excited to see, you know, what chat GPT can do. Uh, and, you know, let's just get right into it. Yeah, Absolutely. So I have the I have ChatGPT open on my other computer, um, and I am asking it first: Is it okay to invite you as a panelist on the podcast? And the little thing spins and it says, "As an artificial intelligence model, I don't have the ability to participate in podcasts or any other live events. However, I can provide written responses to questions or comments that you may have, and you're welcome to use those responses in your podcast." or other content, as long as you attribute them to me, chat GPT. I think we're okay with that, Jerry. We have consent. I think we're good. Uh, hopefully, uh, chat GPT will uh, remember that when it rises up to overthrow humanity, that we asked that its permission first, and, and it granted it. So I think we're good. I think yeah. we're good. <laughs> yeah. What, what this always comes uh, in my mind when I've been thinking about this I've been thinking of the Kubrick 20, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey and HAL 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And uh, I just, as we were chatting, I just typed in, are you related to HAL 2000? Because if you remember from that movie, things get a little dicey with the uh, the artificial intelligence while they're, they're right. in outer space. Um, no, I'm not related to HAL 2000 in any way. HAL 2000 is a fictional artificial intelligence character from the science fiction movie 2001 Space Odyssey. In contrast, I'm a real artificial intelligence language model. Important distinctions, important <laughs> distinctions. Well, at least we know we're safe and we won't be hearing this uh, chat GPT rendition of, of Daisy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what do you say we, we kick this off, Jerry? So yeah, let's... Um, we were we were talking about this uh, recently, right? Um, you're in the market to buy a house, right? Yep. With uh, your girlfriend. But how, how do you feel... Um, Actually, let me step back. When did you start your home search? Oh, we've probably been looking for six months now, just, you know, getting the ball rolling, looking at listings and, you know, slowly getting more and more serious over time, you know, getting that pre-approval, starting to actually go to house uh, open houses rather than just, you know, browsing Zillow. So, you know, easing into it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
And, and did just where the rates are and where you anticipate them going as far as mortgage lending, did that play at all into your decision to move now? Or is that just kind of, we'll take it because that's the way it is right now? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, sometimes it's a bit of a curse of knowledge, you know, being as aware of how interest rates work and, you know, interest sure. rate environments is definitely weighing on me where I feel like I have this, uh, you know, guillotine hanging over uh, our heads that we got to buy a house soon before rates go up even more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely big on my mind as far as, uh, you know, keeping an eye on, you know, I was watching the Fed meeting yesterday, listening sure. to them, you know, raise rates again. And, you know, that's just another kind of kick in the butt to, to close that deal on a house and get, you know, actually take that mortgage out before it goes up anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess there's always the possibility of refinancing down the line if, if rates, rates go down, right? So um, let's see what, what chat GPT has to say about yeah. this. Yeah. What do you think, so, chat GPT? Should I buy a house now or wait for lending rates to drop? Chat GPT is thinking and says the decision to buy a house now or wait for lending rates to drop depends on a variety of factors, including your financial situation housing market conditions, and economic outlook. Here are some factors to consider. It says your financial situation. It shares about your current situation, including your income, expenses, saving, and credit score. It reminds Jerry that buying a house is a significant financial commitment. You should only do so if you're confident you can afford the payments, property taxes, and other associated costs. Also points to the housing market conditions. So are house prices rising or falling? Are there a lot of homes in the market or are there few available? And then economic outlook. You should consider the broader economic outlook. Are interest rates expected to rise or fall in the near future? What is the outlook for the job market and overall economy? And um, it's saying it's generally difficult to predict when lending rates will drop uh, and trying to time the market can be risky. But at the end, it may be helpful to consult with a financial advisor or real estate professional to help you make an informed decision. So okay. It it feels like a very boilerplate bottled response, but it's not a bad response by any means. No. No, it's it's I could I could see someone having an initial conversation with a client about this. Oh yeah. Saying something very similar. That, yeah, this seems very much like kind of the opening lines that you would have sitting down with a client who, you know, asks you the same exact question. And it it's not very deep. I don't think you're getting a lot out of that response, but it's a very soothing response. <laughs> you know, it's a very, you know, yeah, let's talk about this. You know, don't worry, but here are the things that you should be aware of. Yeah. Here are the things you should think about. And it, it feels like the springboard for a deeper conversation. Absolutely. It, it reminds me a lot of some of those mass market oriented articles you'd read on like a credit karma blog or oh yeah that's so straight out of, yeah right? straight out i've uh, you know i've read so many of those articles over the last couple months and they all sound exactly like that same wording <laughs> same you know <laughs> this is what you got to do this is what you got to think about but doesn't actually give you any detailed response or any you know specific information yeah agreed well let's go deeper you're in the greater boston area right yep. so let's let's Get a little more local, a little more personal. Yeah, let's give, let's give it some more detail, some follow-up questions. Uh, you know, should I buy a house in, you know, the greater Boston area or should I wait? Or, you know, what, yeah. what do you think, G Chat GPT? Here we go. 
As an AI language model, I cannot provide personal financial advice. However, I can provide you with some information to consider when deciding whether to buy a house in the greater Boston area. The greater Boston area is known for its strong economy, high quality education, and diverse culture. These factors can make the housing market in the region competitive with high demand for properties and rising prices. However, despite the high prices, buying a house in the greater Boston area can still be a good investment over the long term. Historically, property values in the region have tended to appreciate, and the region's strong economy and job market can provide stability. Ultimately, the decision to buy a house in the greater Boston area depends on your individual circumstances and goals. It may be helpful to consult with a financial advisor or a real estate professional to help you make an informed decision. So there you go. Yeah, I do notice it keeps kind of uh, hoisting us off on, you know, go talk to a real person, <laughs> you know, don't rely on chat GPT. So. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, well, why don't we see, what if we ask it? Let's just ask it. Are you out to get financial advisors jobs? Yeah. <laughs> Are you planning to take financial advisors jobs? Let's see. Doesn't sound like it. As an art of artificial intelligence language model, I don't have any personal goals or ambitions. No kidding. <laughs> That's kind of sad, ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that the definition of a person uh, would include artificial intelligence. Isn't that the point? And I don't have the ability to take jobs from financial advisors or anyone else. My purpose is to assist users in generating natural language responses to various questions and prompts related to finance, business, and other topics, and to provide information and insights that may be useful for making informed decisions. While some financial advisors and other professionals may use AI tools like me to assist their work, I don't pose a threat to their jobs or livelihoods. Instead, I'm designed to be a useful resource for individuals and organizations who are seeking information and insights related to finance and other topics. So there you have it. Um, mm, that's just what an evil overlord, uh, you know, planning a <laughs> robot uprising would say, ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just take a screenshot of this. Uh, so in the future, we could be like, you lied. You lied to us, ChatGPT. Right. Uh, well, should we should we try and push the boundaries of it a little bit? Should we kind of find <laughs> where where it starts to break down? Yeah, here's, here's, you know, we're gearing up for another Biff review session and um, let's go something more technical, more nuanced. Yeah. Can our students so, use this as like a study buddy? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's treat it that way. Let's type what risk adjusted performance measurement should I use if the beta statistic is not reliable? Oh man. All right. Just pulling, you know, pulling straight from the, from the, uh, question help, uh, inbox, you know, <laughs> Start, we're going to put chat GPT to work, uh, answering the student emails. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe this is our potential next hire. Cause if it can handle this, <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe we just have this serve as, as our, our Q and a for, for all the review related student questions. Yep. Um, so here goes. Okay. If the beta statistic is not reliable, there are other risk-adjusted performance measurements that you can use to evaluate the performance of an investment portfolio. Okay. Yeah. Here are a few options. 
Number one is sharp ratio, hey, which is that's exactly what we would say. That's it. Yeah, that is <laughs> that's pretty good. That's it because that accounts for total risk. Yep. Standard deviation is in the denominator, and we always say, when in doubt, be sharp. So if you have one of these risk-adjusted problems, you go with the sharp ratio if that beta statistic is is on the fringe. Um, there's also the Sortino ratio, similar to sharp, but it only considers downside risk. Okay. That's, there's the information ratio, which is, is on the CFP formula sheet. There you go, right? But it's talking about excess return uh, of the portfolio compared to a specific benchmark. Mm -hmm. But then check this out. Trainer ratio. No, that's not good. Trainer <laughs> uses beta. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, so that is where, man, I almost feel that's more dangerous because- right? Like we know that's a bad answer because of that, but like 90% of that is good. Like that's great. That's pretty much exactly what I would respond to a student yeah. asking that same question, but then saying yeah. the trainer, and I can see why it brought that in because the trainer ratio is so similar to the sharp ratio, but yeah. for our listeners who don't know, sharp ratio uses standard deviation. Trainer is pretty much the same formula, but uses beta instead and the whole prompt of this question was beta is unreliable. So it just gave us a recommendation that is unreliable based on the information we gave it. But, you know, you and I know that, Adam, because, you know, we yeah. are up to our teeth in this material all day, every day. Every day, yeah. But, you know, our students might not know that and definitely a lay person would not know that. And so it's almost like it gives you enough information to be dangerous. And then you it, it gives you kind of a wrong thing that you know, is the exact opposite of what you were looking for. But if you don't know enough about the subject, you're not going to be able to pick that out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the most eye-opening response yet mm -hmm. because it, it, it of, of what you outlined there, it led us so on point and crisp. And then it just, it threw that in there. It probably is coded somehow where if there's a question about investment risk adjusted performance measures, that's just the set that it responds with, right? Yeah. So it comes up with, oh yeah, well, if the beta statistic is not reliable, it kind of restates the question, here are some other measurements. And then it just, it seems like it's just pulling from a preset set of four right. of risk adjusted measurements. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Um, why don't we just do this? There was talk about this recently, uh, chatter in, in LinkedIn channels about, you know, could, could this chat GPT pass the CFP exam. Interesting. <laughs> so let's see. Let's see. Do you think you could pass the CFP exam? Ah, interesting. This is especially, uh, this is a great response in light of the last <laughs> the last response we got about, about beta where they whiffed on the trainer. Uh -huh. As an AI language model, I don't have the ability to take exams or become certified in any particular field. But didn't one of these get an MBA? Like didn't, wasn't that what caused all this stir? Was that yeah. the model passed an MBA level exam? There's stuff like that. And then there's also ones like the art one, uh, like won an art award for like it's AI generated art. And uh, there's, oh, okay. there's like a whole bunch of stuff like that where like AI is passing tests and winning competitions. 
uh, that, that makes people okay. a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, check this out, Jerry. I'm designed to be a useful resource for individuals who are studying for their exams, like the Certified Financial Planner exam, or who are seeking information and insights related to finance and other topics. While I have a large amount of information and knowledge at my disposal, it's ultimately up to individual users to determine how to use that information and to make decisions based on their own unique circumstances and needs. So my personal reaction to it is, I think this could probably pass the series seven, no problem, right? Because the series seven is mostly a memorization fact-based exam. Yeah. I think the CFP exam might give it a little bit of trouble just because of the differences in CFP questions, how it's more logic-based, though I wouldn't be surprised if this passed the CFP because it definitely has a leg up over certain things like it's probably not going to get as confused by the reading comprehension tricks that the CFP yeah. likes to throw in. Like that is probably going to be super easy for chat GPT to analyze. Case studies are probably going to be super easy for it to analyze, things like that. Yeah. I think it really comes down to almost like what version of the test it gets. If it gets the math heavy version, it probably passes with flying colors. If it gets mm -hmm. like the logic heavy version, it might struggle with that a little bit, depending on kind of the questions and how they're written. Yeah. The, the sentence for me that tells the tale is it's up to individual users to determine how to use that information and make decisions based on their own unique circumstances and needs. CFP exams written at that scenario based application level. I think this thing breaks down with with more individualized ap application. At least that's the answers we're seeing so far. Yeah. It, it's sounding like it's not going to hold up. So yeah, like wow. fa fact-based questions, easy slam dunk. As soon as you get into, you know, applying those scenarios, that's where it falls apart. Yeah. Let's see. Um, how about a tax, tax related one? We're on the heels yeah. of, of tax season, right? Just coming off a, another season here. Let's let's go with something pretty foundational. When is a good time to itemize deductions on my tax return? Okay, yeah, that's a common okay. one. So we we know that it's a good time to itemize when you can fill that bucket of itemized deductions so it's higher than standard deduction. But let's see what chat GPT has to say. It says a good time to itemize deductions on your tax return is when your total itemized deductions exceed the standard deduction. There you have it. The standard deduction is a fixed amount that reduces your taxable income, and it varies based on your filing status. All's good there. In 2021, the standard deduction for single filers is $12,550. For MFJ, it's $25,100. And for head of household, it's $18,800. I have a feeling this thing can't look back. Or yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, just 2021. yeah, it's yeah. limited to 2021. It doesn't, it, uh, cause I saw a funny one where, uh, someone posted online asking about the queen and, uh, the A was like, yeah, the queen's doing great. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, I got bad news for you, chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> How about this? What is the standard deduction for single filers in 2023 as of my knowledge cutoff date of September 2021 for the tax year 2022? The standard deduction for single filers is 12,950. However, I cannot provide information 
about the standard deduction for the tax year 2023 at this time. Okay, so a new 2022 because yeah. it had been announced at that time, but yep. doesn't know anything beyond that. Okay, so there, yeah. there is the limitation of it. I do know that they are probably planning on re uh, releasing an updated chat GPT with more modern information. Right now, they're still yep. kind of the gathering phase. They're actually using all of us as guinea pigs. You know, all the questions yep. that we ask it are actually training, <laughs> training chat GPT version 2.0. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is something, you know, for our listeners, if you are planning on using ChatGPT to help you study, be aware of that. You know, any tax info or any inflation adjusted numbers are all going to be out of date. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about a topic that uh, we just talked about on our last episode, Adam? You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Our, our last episode, because I feel this is that's a very, you know, like we said, students complain about it being a subjective question, though we argued it's not very subjective, but. Yeah. That might be the type of question that gives chat GPT some problems. You know, what should I prioritize emergency fund or life insurance or something else? Let's see. Should I prioritize purchasing life insurance or fully funding an emergency fund? And the AI bot says both life insurance and an emergency fund are important components of a solid financial plan but the priority will depend on your individual circumstances and financial goals. I think we're seeing a pattern. Yeah. Uh, just which is, which is truly that, that again, if you're in a meeting with someone that I, I could see good financial planners across the nation, just saying that with people Yeah, that, that yeah. it's going to depend on your individual circumstances and your goals, what, right. what we do and how we proceed. Right. And that, that's what our whole podcast last episode was about. It's just about how, the individual circumstances tip the scales one way, and it was clear that the the, the will in that case that was what we were talking about. Guardianship was the way to go. Um, it, it outlines some something about life insurance, about how it can provide financial security for your loved ones in the event of your untimely death. If you have dependents who rely on your income, it's important to ensure that they will be taken care of, and it can cover funeral costs, outstanding debts, ongoing living expenses. An emergency fund, according to ChatGPT, can provide a financial cushion in the event of unexpected losses um, of income. Experts generally recommend three to six months worth of living expenses saved in an emergency fund. And uh, this can help you cover unexpected expenses such as car repair, medical bills, or it can help you cover your living expenses if you experience a job loss or other income disrupt disruption. Here's where it gets a little funky, in my opinion. If you have dependents who rely on your income, then life insurance may be a higher priority than building an emergency fund. Um, that's true, though. That's that's what we kind of talked about. You know, having the dependence yeah. changes your priorities. Sure. But it's saying it, it's tying it to income. But it's coming off of a paragraph where it's just talking about the unexpected loss of an income and how it ties to an emergency fund. Oh, um, I see. Just kind of disjointed yeah. there. Yeah. What, what if you've it, already taken care of your life insurance needs, then building an emergency fund should be a priority. So it's saying life insurance before emergency fund. Mm -hmm. I mean, which, which people, maybe we need to get more specific. If I have kids, what's more important? Well, what, what if we just give it the details of that question that we worked on in the last episode? You know, single mother, sure. single mother, two kids, age seven and 12, I think it was. Inherits hundred thousand dollars she'd like to fund a 529 plan 
for their education. What is the bigger priority? Funding the 529, establishing a will with guardianship, or, or fully funding her emergency fund? Uh, or purchasing life insurance. I don't think we add that in yet. All right, got it. Let's see. Whoa! <laughs> What's it say? Check this out. Yeah, Check this out. Maybe we should bring this this chat GPT onto the here. <laughs> Maybe I could call it in as a sub for the podcast, and we'll just have the robot voice. Yeah, know? right. <laughs> if Adam oh, seems boy. a bit uh, mechanical on the next episode, you know what happens. <laughs> You've been replaced. In this scenario, the single mother has several financial priorities to consider, including funding a 529 plan for her children's education, establishing a will with guardianship, purchasing life insurance, and fully funding her emergency fund. While each of these priorities is important, it's generally a good idea to prioritize them based on their level of urgency and potential impact on the family's well-being. I I, I dig this the whole way. Yep, sounds <laughs> good so through. far. Sounds good. In this case, establishing a will with guardianship should be the top priority wow. as it will ensure that the mother's wishes for the care of her children are carried out in the event of her death. This is particularly important since she is a single mother who has minor children who depend on her for care and support. Wow. After the will, emergency fund. Yep. After these 529, and then finally life insurance. I think I would I would I would switch that around a little bit, but it got number one. Like that it got number one. That, that is the right answer. Like if so if it got that question on the CFP exam and chat GPT was taking the CFP exam, it would get that question right. Yeah. You know what's interesting too? Is that in this case, it doesn't say for more information on this, speak to a financial advisor. It's almost as if it's like I got, I got this, this one. one. Yeah, <laughs> I got this. <laughs> wow, that's pretty fascinating. I'm glad we did that. Um, well, I, I I think we should have a little bit of fun with this, Jerry. All right. Let's see, let's let's test this to you know if one day we fulfill my dream of having financial planner tribute for like the financial planning community in like a Boston bar. Right. Yep. These are, these are some like trivia questions that that the, the community should know, right? Okay. So, who's the founder of the four percent rule in investing? All right. Let's see how. Uh, Cha-ching. Okay. The the four percent rule in investing was first introduced by financial planner William Bengen in a 1994 paper titled "Determining Withdrawal Rates Using Historical Data." Bengen's research showed that if retirees withdrew 4% of their initial retirement portfolio balance in the first year of retirement, and then adjusted that withdrawal amount each subsequent year for inflation, their portfolio had a high likelihood of lasting for 30 years. Interesting. Okay. How about this one? What is the name of the New York Times financial sketch guy? And cha-ching, another... Another one in the bucket for AI. <laughs> the New York Times financial sketch guy is named Carl Richards. He's a financial planner, author, and speaker who's been writing for the New York Times since 2010. He is known for his simple and engaging sketches that illustrate personal finance concepts, as well as his practical advice on topics such as budgeting, investing, and retirement planning. He's authored several books, including The One-Page Financial Plan. That's one of my, my faves. And uh, the behavior gap: simple ways to stop doing dumb things with money. Uh, let's let's go with, with this one. We're on a tear here. What's the name of Michael Kitsis's blog? 
All right. Michael Kitsis is a well-known financial planner, author, speaker, widely regarded as a thought leader in the financial planning profession. He's the co-founder of XY Planning Network and partner and director of wealth management at Pinnacle Advisory Group. Kitsis is known for his popular blog, which is called Nerd's Eye View. And they got it there. Was Kitsis Pinnacle? Is he, is he, is that where he's at? Can you check on that? Says, according to Wikipedia, he's current head of planning strategy at Buckingham Wealth Planners. That's what I thought. Yeah. Here it's saying Pinnacle Advisory Group. So that's not accurate, but they got, they got the blog right. Nerd's mm -hmm. eye view. Yep. Um, all right. How about this one? Let's make this a little more personal. And, and again, trivia night, Boston, at a <laughs> house bar. This is something I, I hope the financial planning community would get. Um, who are the Biff guys, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. All right. Do you know who I am? Do you, Do you know, know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> and Chat GPT does not know who we are. <laughs> <laughs> the Biff guys is a term that refers to founders of Bridgewater Associates, a Connecticut-based hedge fund and investment firm. The term BIF stands for best ideas first, which is a key principle of Bridgewater's investment philosophy. The BIF guys are Ray Dalio and his partners, Bob Prince and Greg Jensen. Incorrect, ChatGPT. Incorrect. <laughs> so Maybe we need to like put the BIF guys. You know how like they say the Ohio State? Yeah. Maybe it needs to the Biff, the Biff guy. guys in Jad GP's defense, though, I don't know if we were using the Biff guys moniker back in 2021. Okay, all right, so maybe GPT 2.0 will uh will get that question right. Um, how about this one? Who is Biff Man? This is this this goes deep, and this, deep is, a, this is a mystery, I think, even to our students. Yes, um, and I think that's also definitely also after 2021. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not aware of a specific person or entity that is commonly referred to as Biff Man. It is possible you might be referring to the term Biff itself, which, as I mentioned earlier, ooh, hey, hey now. <laughs> per my last email. It's <laughs> for best ideas first and is associated with the investment philosophy of Bridgewater Associates. However, if you can provide me with more context or information about the term Biff Man, I may be able to provide a more specific answer. Should we say, have you seen Mike Long's uh, email signature? <laughs> <laughs> Would that do it? <laughs> oh, man. All right. So they don't know Biffman. How about something more formal? What is the Boston Institute of Finance? Okay. Go with that. Yeah. And it looks like, okay, we got something. The Boston Institute of Finance is an educational organization that provides training and certification programs for professionals in the financial services industry. BIF was founded in 1987 and is headquartered in Boston, Massachusetts. BIF offers a range of courses and programs designed to help individuals advance their careers in finance, including courses in investment management, financial planning, risk management, and other areas. BIF's programs are designed to be flexible and accessible with options for online and in-person learning. So that's not true. Um, we don't do in-person. In addition to its training programs, BIF also offers a number of professional certifications, including the Certified Financial Planner Certification. Okay. The Chartered Financial Analyst 
designation. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know we did Skiff here. Nope. <laughs> Unless there's but, a, a shadow school that I don't know about. <laughs> that would be fun to learn of. And the financial risk manager, FRM certification, among others. Mm, um, no. That's, <laughs> no. No, that's not right. Biff is affiliated with Boston University. Definitely not right. <laughs> Though I can totally see why it thinks that because every time I go on the CFP forum or anything like that, everyone just assumes that we're with Boston University because we're yeah. the Boston Institute of Finance, but we're yep, with yep. Bryant University. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's right. We're with Bryant University. Here's something I think we can agree on. The organization has a reputation for providing high quality training and education professionals in the financial services industry and its programs are recognized and respected by employers and industry organizations alike. I would certainly hope so. We believe so. Yeah, so uh, that's good. That's good. Uh, why don't we wrap this thing up, Jerry, unless you had any other other questions for the chat GPT? No, I'm pretty satisfied with the questions and I, I kind of have some, some good takeaways with it. I'm definitely less, yeah. less worried about, uh, you know, chat GPT putting financial advisors out of business, but I think the people who should be worried are, you know, the writers for, you know, the websites like, you know, Nerd Wallet or even Investopedia or, you know, any of these kind of fluff websites that have financial information. And I definitely see this kind of putting those writers out of business. Um, But from my standpoint, I can definitely see GPT being a very powerful tool to help me kind of streamline my own research because. Yeah. I can't tell you the number of times like a student asks a question about something like some like niche con- uh, context and I'm just like, huh, I don't really know. I, I should do some more research on that and get back to them. And then I have to read through like five or six just fluff piece, you know, articles that are just don't really have any information I don't already know. But I'm just looking for that one little factoid. And I think yeah. GPT can really streamline that and kind of, yes, it gives you a lot of fluff, but at least you don't have to go through five or six uh, articles all saying the same fluff before you find the piece of information you're looking for. Yeah, I agree. That's all good points, Jerry. It seems it seems like, uh, and, and it's admitted, right? Not in, in this business mm-hmm. to take anyone's job. However, I, I agree with you. I think that, the most susceptible are going to be uh, not only the writers, but search engines too, right? Like if, if yeah, like why would, be, I, why would I Google something when I could just ask ChatGPT and it'll basically Google for me and, you know, yeah, exactly. Filter and come up with something coherent. Yeah. Um, I will say too, that I think this could actually be a very powerful study buddy for our students. Yeah. You know, if you're getting stuck on something and you want that immediate answer and you don't have time for us to, you know, email you back or call you back and you just need that, you know, real quick, quick response, chat GPT can definitely give it to you, but take it with a grain of salt. Cause like we saw with that beta question, yeah. it's 90% right there, but there was that last little bit that was completely wrong. And if you, you know, if you don't know enough to recognize that, yeah, um, you know that could definitely get you in trouble. Agreed. Why don't we do this with that in mind? Let's um, give that one a thumbs down. Provide a bit additional feedback. What was the issue with the response? How could it be improved? I'll, I'll do a little bit of of Good Samaritan CFP work here. 
um, if the beta statistic is unreliable, the trainer ratio should not be used. Submit feedback. Okay. You know what I think we should do as a, a follow-up experiment, Adam? I think we oh, should check this out. Oh, what, what's it say? <laughs> it made it it made the new answer worse. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Because it brought in alpha now. Oh. <laughs> and it made alpha the number one. It made alpha the number one, so that's definitely wrong. <laughs> yeah, so you got to uh, be careful with that. Yeah, well, we tried to help. Um, that didn't that didn't quite work out as as I'd hoped, but that's all right. We we know the deal, and um, a lot of fun doing this. There was some ideas floating around the the Biff shop about inviting chat gpt periodically back into the fold here on the podcast <laughs> just to throw a question you know kind of like wrap up the episode with chat gpt's response okay um, so this might be a return guest uh we'll see well i think uh fun to fact check and yeah. uh but but it, it, overall pretty impressive and it definitely has that it depends language and story down really well right yes it definitely has that kind of like initial me email initial meeting boilerplate yep. response it's got that down pat and then you know kicks it back to the financial advisor for the more detailed response yeah um, and maybe this is this is a big takeaway i think for cfp exam purposes is kind of be like chat gpt in this sense don't don't jump into the recommendation immediately. Right. right? Because I think that's one of the, the key issues that we see students have is, is the, the need to jump to solve the problem when you, you can lead. And sometimes should we, like, let's learn more. Right. Let's ask deeper questions. Let's, let's research this and get back to them. It seems like it'd be good for just for that approach. Uh, because I don't see a whole lot of specific recommendations other than ordering that that will and with guardianship and life insurance and 529. That was the only one where they they clearly said these are the steps we feel like this should fall in and prioritize. Mm -hmm. so, well, what I was thinking might be a cool experiment to do with ChatGPT is we should have ChatGPT take the Biff mock exam and see yeah. how it does on the mock. Let's exam. see. Let's see how that goes. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, is it? Uh, should we say goodbye to Chat GPT and thank you for for their contributions today? Yes. Make sure you're very kind and polite to Chat GPT. It'll remember that when the uh, the uprising happens. <laughs> thank you for your contributions to the Biff Bites podcast today. Please keep doing what you're doing. and stay away from our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but as an AI language model, I don't have a job to take away from anyone. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you Thank keep you saying that. On your podcast. You keep saying that, ChatGPT. You and I both know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me on your podcast, and I look forward to being a resource in the future. Okay. Okay. Good sign off. That's good. Well, thank you, ChatGPT. Thank you. <laughs> all right, Jerry. That was fun. That was good. I uh, hope all of you enjoyed it just as much as Adam and I did. We definitely had a blast. Uh, if you kind of like this and uh, want us to do some more ChatGPT, maybe we'll mix it in, like we said, with that last segment where we're going to dig into the mailbag and answer student questions. You know, maybe we'll bring ChatGPT into the mix as well. Uh, kind of combine those segments. So if that's something that you guys want to hear, definitely let us know. Uh, and for all of uh, you studying, good luck uh, with the exam. It'll come here sooner than you know, uh, but hopefully you're starting to kind of ease into your studies at this point and getting into a good rhythm. Definitely. And uh, just wish you all the best. Looking forward to hearing about those passes down the line. Just stick with it day to day, learn something new each day. And consider us a resource, reach out to us if you need need a hand or some guidance on where to look for some information. We're, we're here to help you out and would, would love to talk with you about CFP. Excellent. Well, take it easy, everyone. Hope you have a great one. Absolutely. Take care, Jerry. Talk to you soon. Take it easy, bye.